All right, you're listening to what? The Desiree Show. What's your name? Jeremy Ray. Okay, you want to say it again? <laughs> this is Jeremy Ray, and you're on The Desiree Show. Hi, it's Dave Berkfold, and you're watching The Desiree Show. Oh, wait, watching. I said watching. I can't say watching. Okay. Hi, this is Dave Berkfold, and you're listening to The Desiree Show. All right. Welcome. Happy Wednesday, and greetings, and cheers to the first show of the 2017th year. This is The Desiree Show, first downs and flip tricks. I hope you guys all had a wonderful holiday with family and friends. And the new year is kicked off or dropped in with a fantastic start. Uh, playoff football, division rounds in the NFL this weekend. It's all about football tonight on the show. I'm kicking off the show with a phenomenal player, a coach, a father, and a husband, Mr. Brennan Malimaniuna. And at the bottom of the hour, although the San Diego Chargers season is over, I'm going to check in with UT San Diego Chargers beat writer Michael Gelkin on the hunt for a new head coach in for the Chargers organization and a new home. Uh, and now, uh, without further ado, um, I just, I'm super hyped to welcome Narbon Gaucho, Arizona Wildcat for life, fourth round NFL draft pick and to the St. Louis Rams. He played for the Chargers. He played for the Bears. He's a coach. He's a father and a husband, Mr. Brandon Malimaniuna. Brandon, thank you hey, so uh, much for some time. I hope I, I didn't destroy your name. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was actually a, that's one of the better ones, better times I've heard it. Oh, I, I'm. Thank you. I, I'm gonna. I'm gonna save that little soundbite. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Huge thanks again. Um, you know. And first, I just let's start with uh, the specialness. Um, how special was it for you to get this? Well, first, huge congratulations on a phenomenal season with with the Gauchos, 14 and one, 23rd in the state, and a very special induction for you and your father Frank and your family this weekend. Uh, for your uncle uh, into the Polynesian Football Hall of Fame. Oh yeah, it's a it's a, a great honor. Um, you know, my uncle did a lot of great work in the community um, when he was alive, and you know, people talk to me about it all the time how how great of a man he was. So it's a great honor to to have our family and his name, and just to have his name live on, and just to see the response from a lot of the people in the uh, Los Angeles area and uh, you know, in the Polynesian culture as well. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a real special, um, and, uh, and I'll get a little bit more into that. You know, I want to ask you though, is um, how special was it for you to get that call from Dick Tomey, uh, your former head coach, about this honor? Oh, it was good. At first, it was good to hear his voice. You know, I haven't talked to him uh, in a few years, so it was always good to see him doing well. And uh, you know, he's one—he's a fighter, so he's going to be around for a while. It's always good to hear his voice. And then, second, is just—it was a. Uh, it was just, you know, like an amazing film. You know, it definitely feels good to be recognized, especially for the good things that people do in the community. Yeah, it's a, it is a special honor. Uh, you know, and, and again, extended congratulations to you and your family. Um, now, a football and family, uh, your dad, you mentioned, you know, your dad, you'll be going with your dad as well, I believe. Um, your dad was a Bruin. He played in the NFL. He played for the Kansas City Chiefs. Your uncle, Big John, a uh, huge impact. What it was, What was it like growing up with with all these big football guys in your life uh it was good you know i mean it was a uh, it was definitely uh you know, i got to see things firsthand on how to handle myself as a player and then as a uh just a citizen in the community so it was definitely good you know i, I, I was taught at a young age to always you know help and give and you know it's kind of just carried on throughout my life you know and now, I'm, now that i'm coaching uh, teenagers you know so it's, it's kind of just all went full circle kind of a it's kind of funny how things work but it's been a blessing right on yeah no and I want to ask you that is you know from being coached to now being in a position to coach um, I mean I would imagine that that you said full circle but I would imagine that you would have such a more in-depth um, angle or perception on what it's like to now be a coach having also been coached uh, well I I think the biggest thing is just being able to relate with the players, you know, and it's a different day and age and different time and, you know, kids' minds are in different places than they were 15, 20 years ago. So just being able to relate to them and understand their daily things that they're going through is probably the biggest biggest thing that uh, kind of helped me going forward in, in with coaching. Right on, right on. Well, now, and, you know, obviously football um, and sports uh, were such a huge part of your life. 
but also basketball and track. When did you realize that football was going going to be that staying power for you in your life? <laughs> uh, when I realized I couldn't stop eating. <laughs> when I realized I, I was like, I can't stop eating. So I guess I'm going to play football. Oh. So that was pretty good. I realized once, one year I ran track when I was like you know, 13, 14. I was pretty competitive. And then like that off season, going into next track season, I had gained like 25 pounds. I was like, yeah, my track career is over. <laughs> Well, yeah, and for me, like as an athlete in high school as well uh, and growing up, I, I mean, I would look, I remember looking um, at the track and I remember looking while we were playing tennis and looking at soccer and going, hell no, I'm not going to do that. All they do is run. <laughs> well, you guys went 14-1 and this year, 5-0 and in your, in your division or in the league, pardon me, ranked 23 in the state and even with the Coach of the Year nomination for the Don Shula NFL High School Football Coach of the Year. Can yeah. you expand on, I mean, this has got to be, I have not had the opportunity to get up there, but I, it's got to be a real special program. Can you share a little bit about that with us? Um, yeah, it is. You know, I, I think the biggest thing that, well, you know, I, I can't speak for the program, but I do know this. The kids come and play. Uh, we push them hard. You know, we, we're going to push their limits and expectations. The kids don't really know what they can do until, until they um, are actually pushed to the limit. And, uh, Interview. <laughs> and then, um, you know, I think the biggest thing, though, that we do differently is just have fun. You know, I, I think people don't realize, and I've, I've been fortunate enough to play on different levels of football. You know, high school is the best time of your life, you know, because once you get to college and once you get to NFL, it becomes a business. And, you know, it's, you know, you're a commodity then, but, you know, as a high school player, you just, you know, it's just the essence of having fun and being a great football player or learning to be a great football player. No, that's cool. That's rad. Uh, you know, and I was going to ask as well that transition. You know, you mentioned uh, high school is your is the is the best part. Um, that transition. What was tougher, high school into college or college into the NFL? Um, college into the NFL was tougher. Um, it was just because you know now that money's involved and you know it's your job basically. And you know, one bad day or one bad mistake, you know, you're pretty much looking for a new job. As opposed to college, well, you know, as a freshman, they know you're 17 or 18, and they're, you know, going to help you grow and work with you. And, uh, you know, I think you have a little more time to, to mature going from high school to college. It's college to pro. It's like, you're here. This is what we expect. Either you can do it or you can't. You know, that's it. You've had the opportunity to be coached by uh, many coaches. What coaches impacted you most? Um, they all had an impact on me. Um, in various ways, you know, uh, I missed that. I can't. I was in the NFL. I was Mike Marks was the coach, and uh, mm -hmm. you know, I learned a lot from him, X's and O's, Y's, and just you know, approaching the game. You know, how to how to handle opponents, and then you know, I get traded to San Diego, and then uh, you know, it's Marty Schottenheimer. And, you know, he's emotional, and then you know, just feeling that raw emotion from him. It was a big deal. And then, you know, Norv Turner. I had Norv Turner right after Marty. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, he was like a kind of a fun, he was a fun-loving guy. You know, he just, he was like, hey, you guys have fun. Just make sure you show up on Sunday. You know, and that was a big thing, you know, which was cool. Like, later on in my career, you know, as an older player, you know, I, I, I liked this, that style, you know. And then I had Lovey Smith, who was like kind of opposite all of them, kind of quiet, reserved, didn't yell, didn't say much, but he expected you to come there and work hard every day. So. You know, I've had different uh, types of personalities, but, you know, and when it's all said and done, they all expect you to come to work and perform and, you know, do your best. Right on. Uh, now, in the San Diego is looking for a new head coach. Um, I, <laughs> are you looking? I, know, no. I, I, don't, I, don't, I was about to say, I don't know where they're going to be at either. Yeah, they don't. I don't. We don't know where they're going to be yet. Um, although there was an extension today um, until the 17th for uh, the NFL grant of the Chargers, uh, a few more days on that decision-making plan. Um, but most difficult. Um, what would be more difficult coming to be a coach where uh, the team organization is already designated that they are keeping the offensive coordinating coaching staff and that you would be stepping in and they're also keeping their GM or not knowing potentially where you would be living? Uh, 
think it just depends. You know, it depends on if you have kids and things like that. But I think the move would probably be the hardest thing. And what do you think for I mean, a player? Huh? And for a player, having played yeah, a year or two years now um, with an organization that might not be in that same city. I mean, you know, in the end, it's a job, and, you know, they're getting paid very well. So, I mean, I you really, honestly, you shouldn't have too many complaints. But if you were to complain, I would say, I mean, it'd be difficult, but in the end, I mean, in all honesty, you can get traded any time. When I got traded from St. Louis to San Diego, I had no idea that I was going to be um, traded, you know. They called me and were like, hey, we just uh, – or uh, Marty Steinheimer called me like, hey, we just picked you up from St. Louis. I was like, for real? <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, I mean, that could happen at any time. So I, I think just, you know, basically approach it as a business. Nice. Now, and you've had the opportunity to be also – this year also you guys have uh, – I'm going to swing back to Narbonne, but you guys have some special players there. Dominic Peterson, a defensive end, defensive tackle player of the year, Clemson-bound quarterback – uh, Trevon or Trevor Lawrence. Um, yep. Do you sometimes see kind of what coaches saw in you when you see these players? These, oh, yeah. you know, kind of special players? I do. Uh, we have a lot of special players. Um, they have, you know, I feel they have next level ability. When I say next level, I mean in college. Um, you know, I, I think the biggest thing for the players is, is just, you know, you can kind of tell the mature ones from the ones who maybe need a little more coercing into, you know, being a great student, uh, uh, being good on, being a great uh, student on campus, being a great student in the classroom. You know, but overall, I see a lot of good things in these kids. And, you know, they're a lot more advanced than I think we were when we were playing, just because of the style of play, and then uh, the style of play, and then the um, the way you know. They see so many things on the internet, so they're exposed to a lot more things. So they see things and they reenact it, you know, and they just kind of it naturally comes out when they put on the field. Yeah, no, and then you guys, you guys started off the season with with beating Sarah, which is Sarah's a good yeah. team. I mean, or I mean, it's they've been a good team off, you know, for the last decade or so. Um, yeah, they're still a good team. You know, we, yeah, no, I mean, and you guys that, really. <laughs> that match just kind of, it kind of goes back and forth. Like, they had us, they beat us like three years in a row, and then the time we beat them two years in a row, and then we just beat them this past year, and then the year before, or a few years before, we had beat them. So, I mean, it goes back and forth. It's, it's a good, healthy rivalry. Uh, nice. You know, we're only five minutes apart from each other, so that makes it even fun. Yeah, no, definitely cross, cross, uh, cross town rivals. That would be a, t- yeah. a typical cross town yeah. rivals. <laughs> Um, yeah, right on. Now, um, I spoke to Dick Tomey, your former coach, and he said he was really looking forward to seeing you and your dad in Hawaii for the Polynesian yeah. Hall of Fame induction on Friday uh, for his un- for your uncle. Um, really proud of Brandon and Big John's induction to the Polynesian Hall of Fame Friday. Spectacular person. Very sought out after as a player, as a high school player. I recruited him heavily to come to Arizona and was thrilled to death when he did come and made it. And he made it a home. Really great team player, soft-spoken, highly competitive, very unique, tight end, great teammate, and very proud of what he's done after as well, giving back to high school kids. Uh, No player that I have ever been around with more athletic ability, quick and for his size too, an outstanding football player. Uh, And he also wanted to throw in that he wanted to extend wishes from him and Nancy to you and your family. Wow. (laughs) Well, yeah, he's a great guy. He he really instilled in me. Because, you know, when I went to Arizona, I was only 16. I graduated high school at 16, so... I, uh, he instilled how to be a man, you know, and how to carry myself. Uh, and my mom did that as well. But he, you know, I was out there by myself. Um, and he instilled a lot in me, and I, I'm just very appreciative of that. And uh, now he's, he's a great guy. Nothing but good things to say about Coach Tony. Right on. Cool. Um, and, you know, and can you share a little bit about that recruiting, being that recruiting process by a coach and um, and how, you know, he's kind of come to be in your life uh, still? Yeah. 
Oh, and I'm just jo- I'm joined by Brandon Malay Malayuna. You can follow him on Twitter at bmanu86. Um, now, okay, I already asked you about that. Now there was some great football going on the last two weekends. Uh, well, the, there's been some good football going on with the bowl games. Uh, I'm talking specifically about USC. Um, win or victory over Penn State in the Rose Bowl and then the Clemson upset over Alabama in the championship game. Did you, you, I'm assuming, had the opportunity to watch both of those games. Did you enjoy them? Oh, yeah, they were great. They were really good. I, I watched the, the Penn State game, uh, the USC victory. That was a huge, huge win for USC's program, but it was also just a great game. And, uh, you know, we don't get to really see Penn State out here on the West Coast, but they're a really competitive team. Coach Franklin does a great job, and that was it was a great game. I mean, it could have went either way. Yeah. Um, then the, the Clemson-Alabama game was, I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. It's, it's basically, they won with one second left, on the, two seconds left on the clock. Yeah. I mean, you, can't, you can't write that in a, in a book. So, I mean, those were exciting. I think this week's playoffs games will be exciting as well. Yeah, no, and that's that's the next step is uh, moving forward. Well, and actually that USC, that Rose Bowl game too, was a, that field goal was made. Uh, with yeah. seconds left on the clock, and the kid had missed two field goals prior in the game. Prior, yeah. Prior um, so I was holding my breath <laughs> on that one. <laughs> um, you know, and I want to, before we go into playoffs really quickly, I wanted to touch base a little bit. We exchanged some thoughts a little bit on players opting not to play in bowl games. Uh, oh. Definitely there's a fine line, uh, you know, with a prospective recruiters viewing this and then also your future career. Um, can I mean, is it? It's not so black and white, is it? No, it's not. You know, everybody. Uh, I mean, everybody has their opinion about it, and I mean, I, I see both sides uh, of the fence, per, to say per se. And then I just feel like you know, kids or not kids, college athletes, student athletes who have opportunity to make a lot of money in college, you know, should it's an option. I mean, it's a, a viable option that you should think about. You know, if you have to sit out because you don't want to risk injury and you're really not playing for anything, you know, I mean, why do it? You know, on the other hand, I mean, you have, like, Alabama Clemson, I, I would, wouldn't see a senior probably sit out of that game, and, you know. But then you have the thing where it's like, you know, the guy Scarborough from Alabama gets hurt. And, and I mean, obviously injury is a part of the game. You can't never really – can't never really – know if they're going to happen or not but you know you hate to see that because he's a obviously a future NFL player and just to see him get hurt and now you know who knows what's going to happen to him now all because of a, a bowl game mm-hmm. so I see both sides of the fence I think people yeah. don't realize the, the, the risk people take as football players so they really don't understand like, the physical the physical aspect of it you know, they just kind of see watch the TV and see like, oh, you know, he could do this, he could do that. But physically, if you never felt those things, you really can't have no idea like how it feels or how your body feels waking up that next day or, you know, three months from now, three weeks from now. So kind of, it's kind of one of those things where you kind of have to go through it to understand it. And then you kind of have to understand, you know, a person's earning power in football only lasts so long. So. Well, and also I think you're, what you're illustrating as well is to keep an open mind, um, you know, because my first thought process on this was you are abandoning your team, you know, yeah. um, but on the same token, I mean, but, and you can't, as, a, as an athlete, you can't play scared. You can't play no, scared can't. to get hurt or you're going to get hurt. I mean, at least in skateboarding and, in, in, you know, in snowboarding, I know when I competed, it's, you know, you can't. If you are scared to get hurt, you're going to get hurt. And I, you know, I have to think it's the same thing for football to some extent. Uh, yeah. And, I, you know, I don't, I feel like the players are more understanding than everybody else. Like if I, one of my good friends was a, one of my teammates and I knew uh, he had a chance to be a first round pick and we were playing in the ball that didn't matter, I would tell him, like, I wouldn't be mad at him, but I would understand. I'd be happy for him. Okay. You know I mean, you know, not many guys are in that position. Now, you know, I think people underestimate the camaraderie that football teams have with each other. And we all understand the, the risk and the danger. So, you know, we, we don't want to put our brothers in, the, in that danger if they don't have to be. Hmm. So, 
I love it. Love it. Love it. Thank you. Um, all right. If you're just tuning in, I'm joined by Brandon Mal- Malayuna. You can follow him at bman86 on Twitter. Um, now, moving in, obviously, uh, this last weekend, wildcard weekend, was sort of lopsided. I guess it's the biggest lopsided wildcard, I think, in history for the NFL. Um, moving forward, um, which games are you looking forward most to seeing, or are you not missing any, just like I'm not? <laughs> uh, I'm not going to watch them all, but I'm okay. looking forward to Dallas, Dallas Green Bay, and I'm looking forward to uh, Kansas City, uh, Pittsburgh. Okay. And then yeah, can I, I ask I, if Pittsburgh is uh, – I mean, I was going to ask you that earlier. Is Were you raised a, a Chiefs fan? Oh, no. Oh, you I weren't? Okay. I was a Raider fan growing up. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, well, they were here in L.A. at the time, and then they moved, and then I didn't like anybody for a while. <laughs> okay. I wasn't sure because your dad also played for for the Chiefs. Yeah, yeah. No, so, I, I was I was young. I, didn't, I, I liked everything back then. So. Okay. Right on, right on. Uh, okay, well, and then let's talk about those games quickly. Uh, Kansas City um, hosting Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh looked really, really hot. Um, Antonio Brown, Le'Veon Bell, um, Ben, even if he's hurt, uh, really looked tough, really looked really tough. However, Kansas City and what uh, Andy Reid does, and Andy Reid off the bye, I think his record is 14-1 and one, um, in the postseason, um, or, or it might be perfect. What you know? You've played both of these teams. What what do you what are you thinking on this game? Um, well, I, I, first of all, the biggest the biggest thing to me that um, I think really matters in playoff football is quarterback play, and it's really hard to go against Big Ben. Um, you know, he just he seems to always overcome adversity. You know, and I'm not a Steelers fan or anything, but the guy could play football. You know, and now the thing is, the Chiefs have a great defense, great secondary, so they can kind of slow down Antonio Brown, maybe, and maybe Steelers can, you know, get the run game going, you know, then maneuvers and, and uh, make plays. But I just, it's hard. I, I think the Chiefs have the better team, but I just, it's hard for me to bet against a proven quarterback in, in the NFL. Well, now, and now as a player, I want you to share going into Kansas City and playing at Arrowhead Stadium. Oh, yeah, it's. It's gonna, first, it's going to be freezing. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, Pittsburgh should be used to that. Uh, it's probably one of the loudest stadiums in the NFL. It's a grass field, so, you know, depending on the weather that week, it might be kind of slippery or muddy. Um, you know, it's, it's a tough environment to win. But, you know, and, and the people you got to take into consideration also, the Chiefs have to get over uh, that first-round hump, too. Mm-hmm. They've, they've had a lot of good teams, and they've always got to that first round and lose. So, you know, I... They have a hump to get over as well, a little a mental break, a little mental wall to get over it. So, you know, I, I, I think Pittsburgh is probably going to win that game. Uh, I think Kansas City has a better team, but, uh, you know, Pittsburgh is a little more battle-tested when it comes to the playoffs. Okay. And then another question on the turf is, you know, they two of those games this last weekend, it was zero and, like, five degrees on real turf. Is it, like, falling on the cement when you're playing and you hit the ground or you hit the field when it's that cold? Not the, the, uh, no? You're talking about, uh, where, uh, where at now? I'm talking about Green Bay. Green Bay and, and oh, Green in Bay, Pittsburgh. Yeah. I, I think see, those I games... I hurt my knee in Green Bay falling. Okay. I, I hit my knee on the ground. It's, it's like concrete. Yeah. Because, you know, the ground's like pretty much frozen. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty rough. You know, and then... You know, field turf's a little different. It's a little softer because there's a rubber pellet in it. But that grass, when that, that when that dirt freezes, it's, it's like uh, like the concrete. Okay, yeah, pretty scary. Now moving, uh, then we're going to go to Dallas and Dallas Green Bay is the other game that you're also looking forward to. Really think the close matchup's going to be. What uh, what do you think on this game? I mean, to me, it, it, it's all going to come down to Dallas's run game. I think uh, if they can run the ball. I think they have a good chance of winning. Now, of course, they beat them earlier in the season, but playoffs is different. But you know, Aaron Rodgers in that environment, and I don't. Dallas's secondary is not the strongest uh, part of their team, and I think he'll be able to he'll be able to make plays in the passing game. So if Dallas is able to run the ball and keep them on the sideline, I think that's the biggest key to them winning this week. And that Dallas defense, I think too. Yeah, I mean, no, I think that's what's really kept them also in these games. Um, I mean, 
Ezekiel Elliott's played phenomenal, and so has um, Zach. Yeah, Zach Prescott's played phenomenal as well this season. Um, but that defense has really been a been a stronghold for them as well. All right, and then uh, Houston have a chance at all in New England. Say that one more time. Does, oh, no, Houston is. <laughs> I, don't, I mean, I, you know, it's an NFL game. You never know, but it's. I think it'll get ugly. I think it's just too hard to go in and play. Bill Belichick, oh, yeah. I think, is a, is a genius. Um, and I think it's just yeah, too tough to go in and play. There. They've had a, they're coming off a bye. Osweiler hasn't had the greatest year. They don't run the ball real effectively. And I just don't see that defense stopping uh, Brady. Yeah, I think it's just so. too tough. Uh, last one would be Seattle and Atlanta. Uh, you know what? I, I, so I like Seattle, but when I when I pick my pre, you know, before the season, pick a preseason, like who do you think would be in the Super Bowl, I actually take Atlanta and Pittsburgh. Oh. So if I'm going off my pick, I'm going to say Atlanta, but I do like the Seahawks, and uh, I like Pete Carroll, um, you know, Russell Wilson, I like his game, as well, but I just think Atlanta has too much firepower, uh, their defense isn't as strong without Earl Thomas, and uh, I just don't see him beating them at Atlanta. Okay. So. Yeah, no, and they haven't played that well on the road this year. Yeah. I mean, and the thing is, you know, when they played earlier in the season, you remember, I don't know if you remember, but mm-hmm. then Julio Jones went deep and they grabbed him. They should have called a PI and they would have won the game. They would have had a chip shot field goal and they didn't call the PI. No, I put that under the, the magic of Seahawks and Pete Carroll sometimes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, and you, you, you talked a little earlier about as well coaches that, um, you know, being having it be fun. And I thought of Pete Carroll when you were describing. Yeah. You know the coach that you try to be and to keep relatable, and um, you know you didn't play for Pete. You played against Pete when you were at Arizona, I believe. Yes. Yep. Um, and no, I no, actually, no, no, oh. no, he wasn't there. Oh, he, he was wasn't. There. Okay, I was he, trying to. Think. It was uh, John Robinson was there one year, and then it was Paul Hackett the other years. Okay. Oh my gosh. Okay. So now yeah. you're. That was some I'm good old. SC teams <laughs> though, too, back then. Yeah. Yeah. Um. You know, I loved Robinson at the, his first tenure when he was in yeah. right after John John McKay. Um, yeah. You know, but uh, no, it's uh, I think Pete's got something kind of special going on there. I just don't know if they can do it in Atlanta as well. Uh, and then you just mentioned your picks uh, on Atlanta versus Pittsburgh. Um, and you mentioned a Raider being a Raider fan growing up. Did you have a jersey? Yeah, I actually had a, uh, a Jeff Hoffman jersey. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yes, awesome. Now I was a big Bo fan, big Marcus, uh, big Marcus Allen fan, uh, Howie Long, Ty Christensen, I can go Tim Brown, I can go on and on, but I had a hospital jersey, and I don't know how or why, but my mom got it for me. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Yeah, Marcus Allen was one of, I was a running back on the boys' team in third grade because of Marcus Allen, Charles White, and Ricky Bell. Yeah. So, but that was SC. That's all USC. Yeah. But he, I mean, obviously, I know he went to, uh, he went and played for the Raiders as well back then. Well, you know, Brandon, thank you so much for making some time to join us tonight. Um, thank you for having me. Truly grateful and thankful. Um, and for you sharing all this wonderful stuff. Enjoy your trip to Hawaii and um, much respect to you and your family on this special honor to be there. Oh, thank you very much. All right, cool. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll talk all to right. you soon. Thank you, Brandon. All right, all right cheers. Bye. bye. All right, you guys, huge thanks to uh, Brandon uh, Malimaliuna uh, for joining us tonight. That was really cool. Uh, phenomenal player, um, you know, coach, a father. Uh, I mean, he's, there's so many tiers and so many levels of Brandon that I wanted to touch base on, and uh, we only have so much time, unfortunately. So, uh, but coming up next, um, oh, and you can follow Brandon as well on Twitter at bman86 on Twitter. Um, now, coming up next, as promised, more football tonight. Um, Chargers are in the hunt for a new head coach and a new home. UT San Diego Michael Gelkin is going to be joining us. He's a beat writer for the San Diego Chargers uh, for the UT San Diego for UT San Diego, and I'm going to ask him what he might know and also what he might think uh, could be some solutions for the Chargers. This is the Desiree Show. First downs and flip tricks, and yes, there's more football coming. Are you tired of pain? 
taking pills, whether over-the-counter or otherwise? Are you looking for a natural way to help your body and your sanity that's also affordable, drug-free, and will block your pain? This is Desiree Astorga, and I am grateful to have partnered with a brand I truly believe in, a product I use, and to have Biomedical Life Systems as a sponsor of the Desiree Show podcast. Rebound Sport is your answer. It is for me. This amazing stimulator works with your body to alleviate pains due to overexertion, soreness, even helps strengthen your muscles. Head over to BMLS.com and order yours today. All right. Welcome back. This is the Desiree Show. All right. There we go. Sorry about that, you guys. Welcome back. This is the Desiree Show. First downs and flip tricks. Uh, Yes, more football. I'm excited to welcome back UT San Diego Chargers beat writer. He essentially lives at Chargers Park. I think he has a a cot, actually, in the media room. Um, He's got his own room, I think, too. Uh, he's He's in the locker room. He's at the games, he's at practice every day, and he's got a great perspective, and he writes extremely well. I'd like to welcome back Mr. Michael Gelkin. You know, so who should we speak to about getting you a cot? Is that like a sponsorship thing we should maybe go to Ikea with, or maybe talk to Scott, or to Bill Johnston, or maybe Jamal? Oh, right. Yeah, we'll see <laughs> what we can do, right? <laughs> I, I, can, I can email. I can email. Bill Bill email immediately back. <laughs> <laughs> So now you, I, I you know I have to ask. I know you are a pro. You are a pros pro. You uh, you write. You cover uh, this team um, without prejudice um, and report phenomenal work. Um, I love reading what you write. However, as a journalist, would you much rather be covering a team right now that is in the pursuit in the playoffs and on the road to Super Bowl Fifty One, rather than looking for a new coach and maybe a new home? a good question um yeah i don't know if you really enjoy as a journalist the covering a team that went five and eleven after four and twelve season or covering the head coach hiring process a replacement process I, it's not something that you really uh i don't know you, have to, you find a lot of uh, personal enjoyment in so um you, you'd probably prefer to cover a team that is a little more relevant uh, a team that has more stories, I suppose, and when guys are, are winning, those stories tend to stand out a little bit more. My job is to, even in a losing campaign, to find those stories, to find, you know, the Trevon Reeds of the world, you know, cornerback who doesn't play at all in the NFL, bouncing around from practice squad to practice squad, settles in for the Chargers and gets consecutive inter- gets an interception in consecutive games, becomes the team's interception, uh, you know, second place behind. Casey Hayward uh, as a guy who really hadn't been on the NFL radar prior to this past season. So those types of stories do exist in losing seasons, but I think as a journalist, they always say you root for the story. Um, there isn't much of a story when you're when you're when you're five and eleven, and um, obviously it's um, it's definitely a huge story what's going on with the possible relocation. But you also understand how that affects your readership, and so you take no personal form of pleasure in reporting on the possibility of a, a city losing its team. Yeah, and that, and then, you know, on a personal note for you, um, you are the beat writer for the UT San Diego. Um, would you consider moving if the team moved? Would that be an option? Or, I mean, have you, what, how has this affected you personally? It's largely out of my hands. Um, you know, it'll be up to what the San Diego Union Tribune wants wants to do. I know we're owned by the LA Times as well, or at least we're owned by Tronk, uh, and Tronk also owns the LA Times, and so we're kind of sister newspapers, so I don't know um, if it would be a simple handoff where it would be like, alright Michael, now you're still covering them for us, you're covering them for the newspaper North. I don't know if that's what it would be. I just know that you know, how it shakes out is how it shakes out. Um, I, I want to cover the NFL, there probably isn't much of a future covering the NFL in a city without an NFL team. So realistically, if the Chargers do move, and I'm, I'm not entirely sold that they will, but if they do ultimately move next week, then yeah, uh, there's, a, there's a good chance that come this fall, I'll be outside of San Diego, maybe Costa Mesa, maybe somewhere else entirely. I don't know, <laughs> but uh, I probably won't be working 
for this interview you should read in my normal capacity in case, um, in case it, something surprising uh, happens. Okay, fair, fair enough. Yeah, I, I need to ask you that. I, I know I thank you for your candor on that. Um, there have been uh, almost there's been over a handful of different uh, coaches coming in this last week um, to interview for positions. One that was supposed to come today. Uh, was hired this morning by uh, the Denver Broncos to become their new head coach, Vance Joseph. What has this, have you been involved at all in any, have you been had the opportunity to talk or see any of these potential coaches, or is that, uh, I mean, I'm I'm not sure. No, I haven't. That's not, unfortunately, falling under the standard operating procedure for how the Chargers or really any NFL team goes about it. Um, media doesn't have a ton of contact with these head coaches prior to their interviews. Um, really, the uh, you see a lot of you know agents. You know, all these coaches are represented um, by someone, and so those agents uh, you can sometimes speak to and get a sense of certain interviews or certain scheduling or locations of when the Chargers interview team will be sitting down with their client. That is about all you can glean really out of this process. The Chargers have been to their you know, which is totally in their merits, and I think I would probably do the same thing about for them. Um, they haven't been very open with discussing this process, you know, about, you know, be it, uh, you know, why Anthony Lynn was interviewed Tuesday morning as opposed to Monday evening. And did he get in late? You know, just, there isn't um, a lot of uh, transparency, maybe, uh, and, 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 and which is fine because they feel it's to their competitive advantage, just like with injuries or just like any other time of the year where there's going to be certain aspects of the operation where they're going to want to keep things tight-lipped and you're not seeing a lot of leaks or a lot of um, really much insight in terms of how these interviews have gone. The Charters have, to our knowledge, conducted six interviews with six different candidates uh, in a six-day span from last Thursday on to Tuesday, but we don't know much. So uh, it's uh, you know we're, we're all going to find out soon enough. I imagine these guys will have their head coach um, you know, certainly this month. So we'll find out when it all comes to fruition. I'm presuming the team is in love with the candidate who goes into the Super Bowl. Okay, right on. Yeah, no, and I have to ask, and I would think, I mean, I, I know that any any company wouldn't, people would not be privy to any information. So this is nothing different from any other company. It's just that it is spotlighted uh with the media, uh, you know, with information of who's who's meeting with who, where as a company you wouldn't, uh, and that's social media, and that's because it's the NFL. Um, you know, and moving forward uh, as well, like there was parameters that were set up on this new head coach that the Chargers were seeking that at least was, I, I believe, from uh, John and also from Tom Telesco that they were looking for more so a defensive coordinator or special teams coach. Yeah, that's been certainly the trend across their head coach candidates that we know of. You, know, you never know. You, you don't want to roll out, especially when the Chargers are not being, you know, not volunteering information during this process. Uh, you never know. Maybe they've got, you know, we know seven of the candidates that they had, uh, six of which were interviewed. Dan Joseph was the seventh, and he's kind of out of the books because they never actually sat down with them before he was hired by Denver today. But we don't know if there was an eighth candidate or a ninth one. You know, we, we don't know if, um, you know, Vance Joseph was the guy that they had number one on their list entering this process, um, which you'd wonder why they waited so long to interview him. So maybe that wasn't the case. But, uh, you know, we don't know those things. Uh, we don't know how they felt about Sean McDermott, who became the Bills head coach today. Was he someone that they were especially impressed following their interview with him Friday in Rhode Island? Those are just things we, we don't know. Um, but uh, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, this weekend. Uh, two of the Chargers head coach candidates, Matt Patricia for the Patriots on Saturday and Dave Tobe, special teams coordinator for the Chiefs on Sunday, are on the sideline for their teams for participating in a playoff game. And if either of those men have their team lose on uh, this weekend, despite their best efforts, of course, um, they will become – immediately eligible to be hired as, as the next head coach of the Chargers. So that will tell us a little bit more about where the Chargers are thinking based on this weekend. Yeah, and that's always, that it's always such a weird process for me because it's got, I mean, it's, there's, you know, I know uh, routine and focus and staying focused at the task at hand, you know, but you've got like a job position like kind of looming 
in you know in your peripherals as well it would be tough to stay focused granted I know these guys are pros and are able to do that um, now I'm gonna put a, a couple of hypotheticals there out there for you um, and you know I mean you have been around this team and in this locker room and are familiar with a lot of facets um, at least on the football end of it uh, with the Chargers organization if you had the opportunity to bring in any coach who would you bring in that would make make that change or help help bring this organization back to a playoff caliber team it's a really tough question to answer because I follow the NFL obviously closely but I follow it very closely from an almost parochial standpoint of I'm a horse with the blinders on I follow the Chargers you know I, I as much as anybody outside the building can know about this team, you know, that's my job is to know about these guys more than anybody outside that building, uh, more than anybody who, uh, who doesn't have uh, his cash, uh, you know, his, his, his monthly checks uh, with a Spanos name as the signee or as a person signing off. I need to know about the Chargers. And so when it comes to who's Vance Joseph as a person, who's Dave Toba as a person, who's Sean McDermott, who's Mike Smith. I mean, I have a sense of some of those guys, and I can do research and re look at them and see how they conduct themselves and handle themselves in their press conferences and, you know, watch some football a little bit. But really, until you sit down with one of these coaches and actually personally interview him, which is what John Spanos, Dean Spanos, Tom Telesco, Ed McGuire are doing for hours at a time, you don't really have a true feel for a guy. And even beyond that, sometimes you can sit down and interview and get a feel for him, but until you talk to people who work with the guy or talked with uh, or maybe even just personally worked with the person and been around him day in and day out, you don't really know what he is all about, uh, truly. So um, it's hard for me to say, you know, that there would be person X who would be the perfect fit for the Chargers without knowing these candidates inside and out. Like, it's Kevin Acey, my colleague, who I know extremely well. I mean, I could probably, you know, pick a spot for him, not in the NFL coaching staff, but, you know, for a position, whatever it may be, because I know him. But I, I can't simply point to Dave Tobe and say, I know exactly who this guy is. Uh, that being said, you know, if I was to give the makeup of what maybe the perfect candidate would look like, the ideal candidate, I think he's going to have to embody toughness. Uh, and isn't to say that, you know, and to talk about what this head coach looks like isn't to describe what Mike McCoy lacks. But, uh, you know, this team, you know, many of its leaders feel needs to get tougher next year. It needs tougher players. It needs to have a tougher mindset. When it gets to the fourth quarter, it's got to be physically and mentally tough enough and not, oh, here we go again. No, it's got to be thinking, all right, we got this. And just, just kind of a, have a dog about it. Some guys have it, but not enough have it in that locker room. So, uh, I think the coach needs to fan that flame in some capacity. He's got to just, you know, enrich in that tough, you know, X factor that this locker room seems to feel that it needs. Um, he needs to be a teacher. He needs to have a good work relationship with Tom Telesco and John Stanos. Um, so what you want a hard ass. You don't want one who's totally, uh, you know, unworkable. You know, you, you want ego to be left at the door. Um, there's a number of things that go into what makes up the head coach. You need to be able to push players, but also protect their bodies. There's a difficult balance that must be struck in training camp. And obviously, Desiree's got to be great with the media, obviously. I mean, I mean, that would be terrific if I can just pick and choose. Yeah, no, I mean, that's why I said hypothetically, you know. I mean, no, and what you listed is is phenomenal. I, I, I mean, I, in, I love that you, you're very um, appropriate um, as far as what your, your answers were. No, but you... You shared those those assets and those traits that you would be looking for that we kind of see as a need um, and gave explanation. I appreciate that, Michael. That was awesome. Uh, you know, because I the toughness you know, was one of the first things you mentioned. And that's another question I was going to ask you is, you know, I mean, obviously injuries were a huge part of this season. Um, however, when there are that many injuries, I have a hard time thinking it's a coincidence uh, that potentially the strength and conditioning isn't uh, what it needs to be. It, potentially what the NFLPA did with no, um, with none of the, the true workouts or, uh, you know, physical workouts as they have anymore, uh, in addition to 
possibly the recruiting of these players, maybe not the due diligence that would be required uh, and to get more. And granted, I, accidents happen and players get hurt and athletes get hurt. It's part of it. Um, but it just, I mean, it was, it was nuts this year. Yeah, I think there are a myriad reasons as to why it happened the way it did. And first and foremost, as you referenced, there's a luck element to it all. When Brand Oliver's cutting in Minnesota, and I don't know, it's the first game ever at that stadium, but I don't know if he can fit it on the field. You know, the way his Achilles just pops and snaps, and you see it in slow motion on on the broadcast. I mean, yeah, golly, what's the, what's the guy going to do? And then, you know, Danny Woodhead's knee. You know, Keenan Allen's non-contact knee. Manti Teo's Achilles. Jeff Cumberland's Achilles. And he had an Achilles earlier in his career. Uh, which brings up the point of are some guys more susceptible to it. And I'm not a doctor, so I can't say if you had one Achilles injury on one foot, are you more likely to get an Achilles on the other one? I think I've heard that you are, but even so, I mean, there's a there's a risk to every player getting injured. And so, um, you know, I think sometimes you need to take a hard look at, are, we, are you know, if you're a scout or a general manager, are we recruiting players of a higher risk of injury than others? And that's something the Chargers do. It's something that they take very seriously. Uh, you know, they, they, you know, they drafted, you know, Jason Verrett and, you know, he was, you know, said to be undersized and he said to, you know, dealing with a shoulder surgery when, when the team was drafted him at a TCU in the first round. Nonetheless, they took him and uh, he hasn't been able to stay on the field consistently enough. Um, is that luck or is that some of the, those concerns? Either way, he can fly out play. He's a pro bowl level cornerback. Um, so it's just, there, there's so much that goes into it each time. Um, you look at Chris Watt, you know, he's a third-round pick for the Chargers uh, in 2014, I believe, mm-hmm. said to be the center of the future, and played more than 50 games at Notre Dame. Uh, here's a guy who had a pretty minimal injury history, pretty clean, and then he gets here, and he just can't stay healthy, and it looks like his football career is done already. And, well, okay, maybe he was a victim of overuse in college. He wasn't fresh enough for the NFL. I mean, he, how do you differentiate between uh, wanting a guy who, you know, hey, this guy was super durable throughout college, just like Jerry Couchy was, and then when he gets to the NFL, he, he can't stay healthy. Um, you know, it, it's really hard. There's so much gray area involved. And I'll tell you what, though, uh, it is easy to point the finger at strength and conditioning and Ken, jo- Ken Johnson and Rick Lyle and that whole staff. But you know, these guys, the Chargers didn't have any Achilles tears since 2010 prior to this season. ACLs over the previous two seasons, there's only one. And uh, of a guy on the 53-man roster, and that was uh, Doug. Uh, I'm forgetting his name. He was Doug Lugerski, a center in 2014. Aside from that, uh, zero ACL tears, and then they had like, at least five this past year. So it's uh, it's random. Uh, I don't know if I can tell you that Ken Johnson did something differently this year as opposed to he did in previous years. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Um, you know, knowing how he. You know how well he was regarded in the locker room, even in the locker room, that guys are falling down one by one. Um, but something's got to change, and the Chargers are going to study it this season to take a look at it. Uh, maybe Ken Johnson loses his job. I don't know. Maybe James Collins has to like loses his job. I don't know. I just know those guys uh, probably wouldn't be fair in respect to how long and successful their careers in the NFL have been. Yeah. Oh no, and I, I agree. I mean, I don't. It's. I don't think it is one. It is not. It can't be. There's not one. I think it's a collection of things and, and then luck, like you mentioned, you know, um, just a crazy, a crazy amount of, of key players going down this year. And I know it's not the reason why you lose. Uh, it's always that next man up. But when you lose so many key players, it's really tough to, you know, not drowned. I mean, you know, so um, and then, uh, you know, another question or, a, you know, would be, um uh, you know, and I'm not. Uh, I'm not trying to. I'm not nitpicking. Uh, I don't want to nitpick uh, because I really don't think there's. There's never one. It's never straightforward. I don't think in anything. And as a former athlete, I've had my fair my fair share of injuries. Um, you know, and I know, and I know my body, and those guys I know know their bodies and what they need to do. Um, you know, I'm just hoping that the. Uh, you know, it's just. A, it was just crazy this year, right? <laughs> oh yeah. It's uh, I was only anything I've ever seen, and I've I covered this team for the Tribune. This was my fifth season. I covered it two seasons prior for NBC, so seven years, and it's remarkable how, especially of late, 
you go through a season, you know, you see 24 unique combinations on the offensive line in 2015. You see five different starting centers uh, in, mm-hmm. in 2014. Yeah. You just see things that aren't supposed to happen, much less this year with the ACLs and the Achilles tears. And, uh, you know, I think it was after uh, 11 of the first 15 games, a player was ruled out, at least one player was ruled out for the season. Uh, after 11 of their 15 games, they had to announce a player is out for the season. It's remarkable. I haven't seen anything like it and it seems like every year you say that you haven't seen anything like it so then here we are in the off season you know it's, it's, it's january and you think man all those guys on injured reserve those 20 players they're going to get back healthy boy chargers sure look good on paper again but then you, you have to acknowledge that every year something seems to happen uh to these guys and some of it's just the nfl but also seems especially of late um, especially this year um it's it's atypical when you look at the Chargers' injury situation in comparison to the other 31 teams. Uh, they are an outlier. So that's part of the homework assignment, a major homework assignment for John Spanos and company this offseason is to figure out how at all in, okay, yes, there's a luck factor, but can we mitigate any sort of controllable element to ensure that 20 players on injured reserve doesn't happen again? Yeah, no, I mean, and if you've got that, you could sell that and be a millionaire. <laughs> exactly. Um, okay, and, uh, you know, a few more, you know, follow-up question with that is, uh, well, sidestepping, actually, is John Spanos. You know, there's been, this move is going on, there's been, you know, um, people have been, you know, pointing the finger at the Spanos, at, you know, Alex and to John um, with, you know, that they're not of the caliber where they should be. Um or just these kind of crazy accusations and for me coming in I I had the opportunity I worked for my dad he was a stockbroker he was a partner of a firm I worked for him and I was the daughter I had to work my ass off to make sure that everybody there knew that I wasn't there because my dad was a partner and I have to believe that John has that and Alex have that also instilled in them um, you know, to get on their side. This has got to be a tough situation for this whole organization with the move going on as well, or, or a non-move, or this un, unbeknownst happening. You're right. I think you captured the dynamics really well. I mean, you learning under your father. I mean, I remember shoot, my first high school job, my first job I've ever had. Uh, my brother got me a job uh, to work at the bowling alley in El Cajon, Parkway Bowl, and I wanted to bust my tail and make sure you know I was my own person and you know I ended up being a four-time employee of the month very proud of that <laughs> that's awesome yeah yeah well I think and I say that all tongue-in-cheek but imagine being John Spanos and heavy lies of Spanos name look it's a it's a great it's a great to be a Spanos in San Diego I mean you get to work in the most you know <laughs> either the, you know the, the, of all the sports teams in, in the city uh, and for a while there, um, Orange County and Dave, it's it, the Chargers are the institution, and you get to work there, you get to climb the ranks, you're given the opportunity to do it. Um, but John Spanos, aside from that opportunity, uh, which it's like let's acknowledge that I mean, oh. not not every other kid in San Diego gets that, but he made the most of it in terms of starting up from you know doing the most basic of responsibilities and duties in around high school age and then just growing in the business intern interning scouting you know traveling and uh, you know hotels and hotels and just a lot of unglamorous aspects of the college and then pro scouting department he interned in new york uh, learned about the salary cap he you know was there for the ryan lee negotiations you know it, it'd be one thing if he was not groomed into the business and for the past you know 30 years or 20 years he's been doing other things and then all of a sudden was given the keys to a franchise but no he's he's president of the football operations and he's held just about every duty along the way so um look i'm i know i know john much better than i do ag uh because ag works on the more business side of the organization and, and John obviously is head of football operations but um, over over the time that I've been there and certainly having done research and talking to people who are around John uh, throughout his rise in the company 
Uh, you certainly hear testimony after testimony of his hard work and of a guy who earned his keep as much as a Spanos could. Uh, you can't fault John for being the owner's son or owner's grandson. Um, you know, that you, you can't, you know, it's not his fault, but he's done his best to make the most of the opportunity that uh, was ultimately a birthright. No, totally. He's embraced it. He's worked his buns off. It's awesome. I, you know, I, and I feel like that's not really talked about a lot. You know, people yep. like to look at the other side of it and, uh, you know, um, you know, so I appreciate your input on that. Uh, now, uh, stadium issues, obviously we're not going to know anything now until the 17th. Um, does your gut say anything either way? Not that your gut matters, um, but what does your gut say? <laughs> well, I usually, when it comes to matters of stadium, I am not doing what my colleague Kevin Acey is doing. My colleague is, you know, Kevin is everywhere. I mean, he's speaking to owners, he's speaking to others who are extremely close to the situation, other league officials, and he is, and I think if anyone's been following his coverage, I mean, mm -hmm. he's been as plugged in as anybody. I would say he's probably the most plugged in, just in terms of uh, capturing where this thing is and kind of hand handicapping it appropriately, capturing the tone of the likelihood the Chargers are staying or not staying. I think when other people were calling it a Hail Mary, uh, Kevin was saying it's not really it's not really a Hail Mary. And I think now you've over the past few weeks you've heard you know some of the people who are describing it as you know oh my gosh it'll take a miracle or whatever. And that's not to directly quote anybody, um, but there's a there's been a bit of a curve there where now a lot of people, um, you know, saw a CBS report today, a journalist in Jason Lockenfora, who's been very adamant that the Chargers are moving to LA, now is reporting, oh, well, it looks like the league wants the Chargers to stay. So um, I think uh, he, he, Kevin's done a very good job of, uh, of covering this thing so far, and, and Kevin wouldn't tell you in absolute what's going to happen next week, but um, I am trusting where he's leaning, and he's leaning that he expects tentatively, however tentatively, uh, that there's a good shot, certainly a better shot than people are giving it, that the Chargers will remain in San Diego for multiple years to come. Uh, ultimately, uh, the beauty of this whole thing, of the head coach situation, of the stadium situation, is we're all going to find out soon enough. Yeah, no, totally, and Kevin is a phenomenal follow and very close to it. Um, you know, I think that's a, a great point you bring up. Uh, if you're just joining me, I'm joined by Michael Gelkin. You can follow him on Twitter at S-D-U-T Gelkin. Uh, two more questions for you. If you had a walkout song, what would it be? <laughs> there, I threw you out, didn't I? <laughs> you're like, what? <laughs> uh, I, I would say uh, yeah, my ambition, or ambition does a ride-up by Tupac. Okay, okay, cool. I like that. And uh, this weekend, football. Um, what games are are you – I mean, I'm going to not miss any games. Um, what games are you looking forward most to watching? Or, I mean, I'm assuming you're watching them. Yeah, um, honestly, I – usually when I'm – especially during the season, if I'm not covering sports, I want to get away from it just so I'm not jaded over the lawn that is the NFL season mm -hmm. and all the traveling and all this, the hours I put in. Um, so I usually won't watch games if I can get away if I can get away with it. But I, I think this one, this weekend, I probably there's some good NFC games, but I'm curious to see what happens Sunday with the Steelers and Chiefs game in Arrowhead, mainly because if the Chiefs lose this game, then their special teams coordinator, Dave Tope, suddenly becomes eligible to become the Chargers head coach. And I think he's a very intriguing candidate giving how his specialty, special teams, happens to be the Achilles heel for the Chargers. I mean, other than Achilles heels being the Chargers' Achilles heel, um, and ACLs being their Achilles heel, uh, special teams <laughs> has been their Achilles heel. Yeah, no, that was a good, good tie in there. A good tie in there. I like that, Michael. Um, Michael, thank you so much for your time tonight. And um, yeah, no, you, so you're not, you don't want to watch the Green Bay game at Dallas either, then. I'll, I'll probably tune in. I'm not going to lie, but it's not, it's not something I'm going to necessarily play my weekend. Or I don't feel like a pressing need to um, – I couldn't tell you what time of the day the game's on. You know, I'm sure I'll come, come this weekend, I'll, I'll check out the schedule a little more closely. Right on. Well, thank you so much for making the time. Really appreciate it, Michael. I know you're a busy guy, and I love what you write and your insight and your input and uh, really honor what you have to say. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for having me as always. All right. Cool. All right. Have a good one. Hey, maybe I'll see you in Houston. Maybe. We'll Are you see. going? 
Um, right now it doesn't look like that, which is it's fine by me. Okay. All right. Uh, I'll Kevin text you afterwards. He's a, he's a Hall of Fame voter, so he's a, he's got to be there. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, cool. Well, have a wonderful weekend, and thank you again. All right, you too. Take care. All right, you too. All right, huge thanks again to Michael Michael Gelkin. You can follow him on Twitter at SDUT Gelkin. Uh, he's a great follow, and you can follow his. Obviously, I would subscribe to the UT San Diego to get his articles, or just simply follow him on Twitter, and you can get those articles. Uh, a phenomenal guy and a phenomenal writer. I love what he writes, and he's got a really straightforward delivery, uh, which is fantastic. And again, huge thanks to Brandon Malayuna, uh, you guys for tuning in, and PJ for doing what he does. Uh, much thanks, and you guys have a dynamite week, and I am out.